Hey, I'm Josh Schwartz. And I'm Stephanie Savage. And we are the creators and executive producers of Gossip Girl. Welcome back, listeners, to your one and only source into all things Gossip Girl. You know you'll love it. XOXO. Here we are again. Welcome back to XOXO. I'm Jessica Zor, and the wait is over, people. Today, you're going to hear the second half of my conversation with Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, the co-creators of Gossip Girl. I am so happy that you all love the first part of our conversation, and it makes me so excited to share the second part with you all. So last time, we talked about how the show got adapted, the casting process, and the early reviews and reactions to it. Well, today, we're going to dive into more aspects of the show, why we filmed in Paris, use movies for episode titles, and so much more. It's incredible in film and television how every little thing you see on screen is a specific decision someone has to make. The music, the script, the locations, but also every hair clip, the cup someone drinks out of, the food they eat, the flower arrangement in the back of the shot, literally everything. And these two were the final say on all of those decisions on Gossip Girl. It's so much work being a showrunner and seeing your vision come to life, but they did it all so beautifully. Now, once again, let's jump back into this conversation with Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. Did you always know you were going to shoot New York? I know that's a silly question because New York is also a character in the show. Not a silly question. Not a silly question. Not a silly question. They wanted us to shoot at Warner Brothers. They took us on a tour of the, of the Warner Brothers lot, which we knew well, and right. took us to Stars Hollow, you know, where they shot Gilmore Girls. And they were like, right. this will be Central Park. And there were some New York streets. And we were like, that can't make the show if it's not set in New York. That's crazy. No. Yeah. Right. And then Steph, being the brilliant producer, figured out how to do it. <laughs> well, it wasn't that hard. There was like a big tax incentive in New York at the time. And I think everyone at, at Warner's was just nervous about doing a show in New York because they hadn't done it. So it just seemed very like, well, how are we going to do that? Like, who's going to produce it? Like, who's going to be the prop master? And you're like, people who work at, who live in, work in New York. Yeah, we'll find them. Um, and then once once we started putting that crew together, we had an amazing crew, I will say. We had... <sighs> Amazing. Ron Fortunato, who was an incredible cinematographer who shot the Basquiat movie. We had on the pilot Joe Reedy as our AD, who was Martin Scorsese's AD. Like he's thanked at the Academy Awards because people were just in New York and there was not that much shooting that wasn't law and order. So even though they were like, I don't really get it, like a show about spoiled kids who like <laughs> write mean stuff about them on the internet, but. I'll do it. It's creative. It's interesting. You know, we're shooting on location. We got a lot of crew from The Sopranos and Sex in the City, and it was really impressive. A great crew. Yeah. yeah. No, and and it was like you know coming off of the OC and getting the Gossip Girl books, it was like another teen drama. I don't know. I feel like we just did this, but it's set in New York, and that is cool, <laughs> and that's a whole other vibe and a different world. And that was for us was like a, the selling point, this idea, or one of the key selling points was the idea of like, but it's the New York version and you haven't really seen that. And so it was just, it had, it had to happen. Yeah. It's the world of Catcher in the Rye. Like it goes all the way back and that had never been on TV that like wealthy New York, Upper East Side high school experience. 
It was also cool whenever you came to set or you're in the Silver Cup offices because we shared offices. It was Gossip Girl, Sopranos, and 30 Rock. And yeah. Like that's some rad <laughs> that's company. Awesome. Yeah. We also were talking about how much like we lived it up in New York and how good the city was to everyone. The city yes. basically like every venue or art gallery or restaurant or club, everyone wanted to be some part of the show. So they literally, it didn't matter if it was Madonna at Madison Square Garden or a art exhibit in Chelsea. Everything was just always like, here, 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 here. And we were like. Yeah, you guys were ass- you guys were real assholes. You had a whole thing handed to you on a silver platter. <laughs> it was awesome. Ed was like, can you believe everything we did? I'm like, no. No, I remember we went to a rap party at the box one night that, you know, that club. And Ed walked up to the doorman and was like, this is my club. Because it was actually where we shot his club, <laughs> right. you know, on the show. His fake club, Victrola, and yeah. the doorman was like, what are you talking about? This is right. not your club. But. Let him in. <laughs> but let him right, in now. Yeah. But when we were making the pilot, nobody knew who we were. Nobody knew what the show was. We could shoot in like Grand Central Station. You know, like that was an actual New York location. But everybody else was like, no. And Pete Holmberg managed the Palace Hotel. Oh, okay. I was like, I know I know that name. Yeah. So he was the guy who was like in charge of saying, yes, you could shoot there or not. Literally no one would let us shoot anywhere they didn't know what the show was they were turned off by the idea of teenagers drinking at the bar whatever it was right and he was like i read the script and i think it's fabulous and he was like <laughs> he was so he was so in on the show so that's why we're at the palace and from the palace everything kind of built from there to then people are you know knocking down the door being like can we shoot here i was gonna say i felt like everyone wanted to be so it was like season one people didn't know and then it trickled from there yeah yeah and then it grew and then actually it was funny so for um lily's wedding which was the end of season one Mm -hmm. i'm like cooking up like what this wedding should be which is like a literally a million dollar wedding like it's gonna cost a million (laughs) dollars to shoot it because it's gonna be outside in the garden at the frick and she needs a vera wang dress and like at the time Sylvia Weinstock probably still makes these cakes, but she made this cake that was like matched the bride's dress, which I just thought was like the most elegant thing. And like, we've got to do that. And then uh, our line producer is looking at me, Amy Kaufman going like, we cannot afford this. Like this is, this is a real event that you planned that we do not have the money to make. So it was like, well, will Vera Wang give us a dress if, you know, we say Vera Wang and we'll, Sylvia Weinstock, give us a cake if she comes on the show and like plays herself. And that was kind of the beginning of doing that. And then it really grew to, you know, everybody in town wanting a cameo and wanting to come be on the show. And I don't know that anybody ever said no to us. And we had the mayor in the finale. (laughs) Like Everyone wanted to embrace what the show was, whether it was a musical performer or whether it was a socialite or a... Yeah, Lady Gaga making an early, early performance. Yeah. Yeah, did a scene with Leighton and I. Florence, St. Vincent, incredible. I was talking about Stephanie as a writer, but Stephanie as a producer, equally as brilliant and figured out how to get so much money on the screen and product integrations and was like, I mean, obviously we shot in the Hamptons, the season two premiere, which is very expensive and hard to do. There may have been a pyramid of vitamin water in the background, but like (laughs) I remember it paid for it. And Stephanie figured that out. And Stephanie's (laughs) Stephanie's dream was to shoot an episode in Paris. And everybody's like, you're insane. There's literally no way you will ever be able to afford shooting in Paris. And Stephanie's like, well, I'm going to show you we're doing it. 
<laughs> she figured it out. When you guys got there, I remember, I don't know if it was Ed or Layton telling me when they, when they got back, like how crazy it was, the fans there in Paris. Oh, yeah. We were told, be prepared. Like, you're not going to get the same crowds you get in New York, in Paris when you're shooting there because the show is on, but people don't really watch it or whatever. And then it turned out that they don't, they didn't watch it on whatever television station it was on, but everybody got it on satellite or I forget what other way that they were illegally streaming the show in France. And it was, I have pictures from that shoot. The biggest crowds the show ever got were the streets of Paris, lined out outside of the hotel. So that was another instance of like more people are watching this show than we are aware of. They're just not watching it right. by, by the conventional means. But I don't think the cast could really go anywhere in Paris. I think they actually ended up just like staying in their hotel. No, Ed couldn't leave his hotel. Yeah. Fortunately, it was, I think, World Cup. So he just sat in his room and watched soccer. <laughs> but <laughs> he couldn't leave his hotel. There were like girls camped out on the sidewalk. And the French producers that we worked with, they did The Sopranos, they did Sex in the City, they did The Tourist with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie, and they were like, we've never seen crowds like this. That's crazy. I think that's a real testament to know you guys knew your vision so much and believed in what you wanted to bring from the page to real life. And that's really amazing because in the industry we're in, there's a lot of talented people and there's a lot of shows out there now, but there's not a lot that hit and that are special in the way. And even though the ratings weren't hitting, which I don't think everyone really knows that, it was still so special and such a hit everywhere that it still ended up going on for so many years, even if the numbers weren't through the roof. Yeah. The numbers of that audience Steph was talking about of like women 18 to 34, that's where it really started to pop mm -hmm. and do a really big number. And that was incredibly appealing to advertisers, you know, so the network was happy with that. And then I think the show just got a whole rocket booster on it when it went to Netflix for a whole other generation. Yeah. Because it is so binge worthy. And if you didn't grow up in that time, it's a perfect way of experiencing the, the mid-2000s in New York. Yeah, but then it also was like timeless, even the fashion. Like Ed, the other day, was like if you watched it and they didn't have a sidekick, you could still see the fashion today. No, Eric Damon was such a, Eric Damon, who did, you know, was our costume designer. He's doing the new Gossip Girl. I mean, he's such a visionary. He was so ahead of the trends that, as you said, it's, it's, it feels yeah. like contemporary. Or we've caught, or those trends have come back around. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so long, it's come back around. Yeah. So when you guys were, did you take a bunch of meetings with stylists or did you know Eric was it from Jump? Well, Eric actually came from Amy Kaufman, our line producer. She'd worked on an indie movie with him and she was like, I just think he's really special and you should meet with him. Yes. And I'm someone who, when we do a show, I do like my own book of tears for all the characters, which a lot of producers do not do. And I'm sure a lot of costume designers do not appreciate when you show up at your meeting and you've brought your own lookbook and like, that's kind of their job. Um, but Eric had also done tears and we had such similar tears, like literally some of the same images that we were both just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like just Ally McGraw love story references for Blair and Nate. Um, we both had the idea of dressing Cotty and Iz as not twins, but always echoing each other, which I was, I thought that was wild, a very special yeah. <laughs> out there idea. And he had exactly the same idea. So we left that initial meeting just completely in love with each other and on the same page. And then for really season one of the show, my job just became protecting Eric so that he could do what he wanted to do. And a lot of the ideas that he were pitching were not mainstream ideas. Like Serena has a look in the, you know exactly what I'm going to say. Serena has a look in the pilot where she's wearing shorts with tights. And I got so much pushback 
why is she wearing shorts with tights? Can't she just wear a skirt? And then every time that would happen, I would just write an essay about why shorts or the new mini skirt and then like put links into like magazine articles, show pictures of like people wearing shorts and they'd just be like, fuck, okay, fine. We have to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then eventually once it took off, they backed off and they understood that Eric knew what he was doing. Well, because fashion was a character in the show itself. So that was super important to kind of like stay on that. So again, doing that with Eric and staying on the network or pushing them back to like fight for that is also why people fell in love with the fashion of it. No, I remember you're going to be shocked to know this fashion is not really my thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember saying to Stephanie once, fingerless gloves? Really? I I don't understand it. Why are you wearing gloves if they have no fingers? And she's like, just trust me. I'm like, okay. Let me do my thing. Yeah, let me do my thing. Well, it worked. No, and even that, I was like, I have to say, I don't totally get fingerless gloves. (laughs) It was a Jenny outfit when she had her fashion show. She was wearing a fascinator. She was wearing a really, really short dress with a peplum skirt. And I was just like, I know it's Isabella Blow, like UK reference. We're just going to, we're not going to like micromanage it. If Eric says fingerless gloves, we're doing fingerless gloves. Yeah. At a certain point, you hire people you believe in and you trust them to do their best work and you try to get out of the way. With Eric, you would never disappoint. For sure. He's just amazing. And it's funny because some of the storyboard that you brought, Stephanie, that were the same as him, lived in the wardrobe room for the whole show, which is like so cute and cool. And also shout out to Jen and Amy, hair and makeup. For sure. I mean, incredible. You guys really, the whole puzzle was just epic. Everyone really brought it, brought different colors, and and it was just great. And I was just going to say shout out to Mark Piznarski, who directed the pilot, and some other key episodes along the way, including the Paris episode. Thanksgiving season one, the Paris episodes. And Mark Piznarski, the Piz, was someone who Don had a lot of confidence in and a lot of faith in because he had done Veronica Mars and some other shows for them. And and so his involvement also gave us a lot of support at the network and the studio side as well. So shout out to the Piz. watching it I also told David Rappaport at the time I like didn't even realize how much you guys were touching on real major like addiction coming out to your parents um eating disorders just yeah. a lot of things eating disorders partying yeah. drugs divorces heartbreak um can you guys play clip three don't let some stupid scandal make you run away like it did me like it does everyone in our world Everything's horrible. My whole life has fallen apart. So rebuild it. You're a Waldorf, remember? People don't tell you who you are. You tell them. Stay and fight. I'll fight with you. Basically, when I was watching that, I felt like Blair wanted to get away because gossip girl they they're living under like a magnifying glass which is basically kind of what life is now for a lot Mm -hmm. of not just teenagers for people yeah but no one lives in a glass house people make mistakes and Blair is so worried about making a mistake that she wants to get away because she's so worried what's going to go on gossip girl what people are going to think and judge and the way those two were and Serena being there for her and saying it's okay and you guys just I just felt like really hit that when Serena's telling her like just stay rebuild learn from it yeah. I mean, I, for all, I have like cousins who are in high school who like watching Gossip Girl on Netflix because it's vintage. Um, <laughs> but I do think a lot of the themes 
still hold up, you know, they, that there is a timelessness to a lot of the, the thematics, which is why it continues to resonate. And obviously now it's on HBO Max and hopefully continues to get viewed. But one of the other things I wanted to mention that Stephanie really so brilliantly brought to the show and a total credit to her is the complexity of female friendships and that idea of the frenemy and that your best friend could also be your worst enemy. And I think that's something that also really resonated for a lot of women who were watching the show. And that was so part of Blair and Serena's relationship that one minute they are rivals and the next minute they're sisters, you know? And I think that was something that infused so much of um, Stephanie writing those characters. Well, thank you, Josh. But I do think that was like something that was underrepresented on television. It wasn't just about, even though obviously Serena and Blair have a conflict over Serena having slept with Nate, there was still this feeling that like female friendships are going to be as important on this show as romantic relationships and written with as much depth and complexity. And that at the end of the day, it's the Serena and Blair relationship is really what you're watching. There's lots of other super fun stuff, but they were the backbone of that world. Yeah. And you do throughout the things you're like, oh, I wish, you know, you want a friend like that, or you want someone to handle a situation the way they do with each other. Even if they're trying to kill each other on the field hockey. By the way, that scene is so good. So good. But by the way, by the end, you know, when Georgina shows up in town, like, the people can, you know, realign and they like work together. There's that sense of the non-judging breakfast club that was established to go back to what you were saying about vulnerability and like everyone makes mistakes. Hopefully the show, even though obviously it, you know, told a lot of stories about people getting their secrets exposed, that the reality was if you had good friends, they really didn't care and they loved you for you. And they had also made mistakes and screwed up and like everyone could just hold each other and and get through anything that was thrown in. Oh my God. That just gave me like all these feels because it's so true. The other thing that I remember blowing people's minds in the pilot between Blair and Serena is when they go to have drinks at the palace hotel and they're sitting at the bar and the idea that like two high schoolers were sitting like they were, you know, women in their thirties at the bar at the palace hotel and like (laughs) teenagers do that. And so many New York kids were like, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what that's happens. That's what we do. <laughs> There's one more clip I just want to play on, on talking about the friendship because yeah. this was wild to me and I forgot that this happened. And you can't be a part of this. What are you talking about? You're starting to scare me. Hey, hey, hey. We're sisters. You're my family. What is you is me. There's nothing that you could ever say to make me let go. I love you. What is it? I killed someone. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, that's like wild. And And she goes to Blair and tells her, but it's just on that of like just how deep their friendship is. And you guys just always kept everyone at the edge of their seat. It's the literally the last thing I thought she was going to say. And I was a part of the show and and watched it years ago. And I still was like, what? (laughs) I can kill someone? (laughs) No, and that was all, that was like... I mean, we had to look each other in the eye and go, are we really doing this? Because it was also at the end of the episode. So if someone says that and you go away and you have a commercial and you come back and you explain what really happened, people can be like, oh. Right, okay. right. But that we were going to give people a whole week to like <laughs> talk about that was could be good or like could really make people mad. Um, I know you both obviously have sick, sick taste in music. Did you guys bond on that initially or did that come out from producing shows? Because you guys, like when I go back and listen, you should see my spot, my um, 
Shazam. It's like I, I made playlists <laughs> from rewatching the show because it's so good. And it wasn't always these like major Justin Timberlake, Beyonce. It would be like rocker bands that people didn't know. Like Florence and the Machine was big in Europe. But when she was coming on the show, she wasn't really big here yet. Even And I was a huge fan. Like Ed and I used to always trip on like who you guys would have come on. Even Kings of Leon were really big over there. But until yeah. Sex on Fire hit in the States, people didn't even know who they were here. So you guys were always like ahead of the game. Like, yeah. We love music. We love music. Josh is definitely like a big music head. I loved music growing up, but I had kind of like given up on music. I was like, I have Sonic Youth, Pavement, Sebado. Like I have my bands from the <laughs> 90s that I'm just going to roll with and I don't need any more music because I just wasn't responding to anything. And then when we did the OC, Josh and Alex Pesavas, our music supervisor, really kind of like brought me back to life of liking indie music and recognizing that that stuff was out there you just had to dig a little and then the OC was such a great platform that we could dig a little and then we could bring it to a larger audience and that was actually really powerful so then when we were coming to do Gossip Girl it was just about thinking of what is that musical palette that maybe it's not exactly the same as the OC because the OC is like you know, a lot of wide shots of beaches and oceans and it's very sort of more like strummy and emo and, and New York City shots can like take a different, you know, musical sensibility. So figuring out what that was and, and how to make that work. Yeah, we talked a lot about pop music and, or, you know, and pop music was having a great moment when we were doing the pilot and that stuff that we wouldn't have played on the OC because it didn't fit the, the, the palette of the show or it wasn't indie enough or whatever, actually worked for Gospel Girl because there's something about New York that just leans into that sort of pop music, just super what's coming out of people's car windows, what you're walking into a club, what you're hearing. Like there's, it's just such a melting pot of so many different sounds. Totally. So um, it, it became an opportunity. And we, there was one moment where we didn't get a song cleared and we at the last minute we put in a Death Cab song and we love Death Cab and obviously, but that was such a big part of the OC that we felt like, yeah, don't mix the peanut butter and the chocolate, you know, a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> so we we tried not to go back to the well of our OC bands with Gossip Girl and kind of forge a new a new sound, and that was super exciting. And we had like I remember we played um, Lady Gaga, the paparazzi, in like the Hamptons episode that was mm-hmm. the very beginning of season two. I don't think anyone knew her at all, but she remembered that well which is part of why she came on the show in season, whatever that was, four or five, and did a performance for us, which was like, she did that when she was in New York doing her Saturday Night Live. Right, So that was like a huge deal. We played Florence before she was on the show. Yeah. It's funny though, because when you watch the Blake actually sent us Florence. I think she had seen her in London or something. When you watch the pilot, there's so much music in the pilot. It's kind of, it was like, the record for most amount of money that they had ever spent on music. And they just wanted it to be this. It was more even than we were comfortable with at times, but it was just like, we're going to put in all these, Yeah, it's it's pretty wall to wall at times and it all worked, but it was, it was very expensive. And we're like, how are you guys going to pay for all of this music? And, you know, and they were willing to, (laughs) they were willing Willing to to step up and, and spend the money. Yeah. Amazing. How did it come about that you guys would use like titles of movies for the titles of the episodes, like the the departed, <laughs> the wild brunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it started a little bit as laziness of like just puns or. Good, it's just so creative. But then they got really good. They started like the wild brunch and um, the Blair the Bitch Blair Project. Bitch Project. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, so good. I loved and it. And then they started making posters. Yeah, and then the art department would make posters for mm-hmm. it. Um, a thin line between Chuck and Nate. Seth, our uh, script supervisor, came up with that because that was episode we shot during the writer's strike and it didn't have a title. And I was very like, wanted the episodes to be produced, but I wasn't going to write anything for them because it was supposed to be pencils down. So I was like, I can't come up with an episode title. The, the crew has to come up with the title. And he came, that's one of my favorite titles and he came up with that one. I, it's, it's awesome. Was it bittersweet when the show was coming to an end or were you ready for the next job or how, how was that? Um, I think it was a really nice arc because for me, the most important thing was getting to a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. When you do a hundred episodes. That used to be a thing. Yeah. Th- yeah. They throw you what well, used to be a thing. They probably don't do it anymore. They throw you a party and make, and you get a big cake. <laughs> the OC went to what, Josh? 92 96 or 93. Oh my so God. Close. Yeah. So close. Oh. Um, and Chuck went to... 92 or 94. Oh, my like, God. Just, yeah, just so knocking on the door. You're like, just give me 100. I'm like, I'm getting my cake. I want my cake. So the cake was like halfway through season five. Blair's wedding to the prince was a 100th episode. So for me, that was like, we did it. And then they wanted a half of a season six. And we were a little like, okay, but we don't want to push our luck. But then season six was really beautiful because everyone Mm kind of knew the show was ending and we were only doing 10 episodes. We're going to be finished by Thanksgiving. So it was like senior year of high school where everyone could be in a good mood and be happy to be there because they could kind of, they were starting to get nostalgic and starting to realize that this was actually going to be over, which some people were looking forward to, but even those people were like, oh, there's actually things that I'll miss. Right, for sure. Aw. Um, and are you guys having so much fun with the new one? We are. I mean, you know, Josh Safran, who obviously was a, a writer and, uh, and eventually yeah. became an executive producer on the original show, is really the guy who is running that show and boots on the ground there. But the cast is amazing and... Beautiful. Well, yeah. Uh, but also just really <laughs> lovely. And they had a real tall order of being like the first thing to shoot in New York post-COVID uh, or during right. co- not even post-COVID, during COVID. During, yeah. And so they had a real um, trial by fire in that way where they kind of became their own pod, you know, the only mm-hmm. people they were allowed to hang out with. And it forged a really beautiful bond. And um, not being able to go home for holidays. Right. You know, if they have an intimate scene with someone, they have to have a isolate over the weekend. Like it's, it's a lot. Wow. Oh my Stephanie gosh. I just, Stephanie and I just roll into town and we're like, let, let us tell you about the mid-aughts in New York City. <laughs> let me tell you about a sidekick telephone. It was a young artist <laughs> named Lady Gaga. No one had ever heard of her. We're like those people. <laughs> and they like those stories. Yeah. For sure. And is, the, is everyone like, are there crowds outside and stuff? Is it different now? COVID has definitely changed the game a little bit, you know, in terms of like For large sure. hordes of people waiting. Um, but it's definitely mm. starting to draw attention and, and catch on. And hopefully everybody stays, you know, grounded. And and uh, they're shorter yeah. seasons now. <laughs> they only do like 10 episodes. So they have more time off. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not quite the same schedule that you things. guys were, were, yeah. were put through. They were working 10-hour days. Yeah. <laughs> also because of COVID. I, we didn't, I don't think we knew that. Yeah. No, that was called the morning. That was the morning. That was the morning for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
One other thing I wanted to say, you know how you you were talking about like the age group, like women, was it, would you say 25 to 35 or? Well, I think the median age of the show is actually older than you think. The average age of the show was, was like 32. Okay. Because now too, I, I feel like Brad plays hockey and I, I meet all these hockey guys that are like, it's my favorite show. I'll go over to Europe and it's like older women, older men, people in high school. So I feel like it really hit everyone outside of that, what you guys were going for. Sometimes when people come up and I'm like, oh, do I know this person? They're like, were you Vanessa? And I'm like, you watched it? It's like not not the demographic at all, which is just really cool that so many different people and ages just really got into it. And I think that's just so cool. In the beginning, a lot of guys would be like, it's my girlfriend's. She watches totally. it. I'm just in the background yeah. watching it, but I really like Chuck. You know, whatever. Like, <laughs> like, you watch the show. Just admit you watch the show. It's fine. Just say it. Yeah. yeah. And now I think, yeah, now people have no problem saying it. But I, I feel like more now is like these athletes or men even more than ever. So I just think it's cool because it just really hit everybody. Uh, well, I'm so pumped and happy for everything you guys have going on. This has been such a fun walk down memory By lane. Way, and you're just... so good at this. You're such a natural oh, thank you. I'm, interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. Um, it just like you guys just brought so much joy to so many people. A lot of moments where people learned and were growing and laughed, cried. We personally all went through a lot. We professionally all went through a lot. And to be able to be a part of all these viewers and fans that like changed their life watching the show is so special. Thank you, Jess. Yeah, that's so sweet. And we are just curators, you know, you guys are all amazing at what you do and all special and your chemistry will never be recreated again. We were just hopefully wise enough to like put you all in the same room and like give you some <laughs> stories to tell uh, where you could all be on screen together. We had so much fun. And I also like want to bring on some of the new ones and talk about all that because it's just awesome and beautiful what you guys are now doing again. One of the nice things too, is how much they love the original show and, and yeah. for them to be able to like walk the same halls at the same school that you guys walked is like a, it's an honor, you know, that's something they're excited about. They look up to the work that you guys all did. Oh, that's like so nice to hear. Cause I know what you guys are doing is just amazing and people are loving it. And again, like being part of gossip girl, you look at it in a different lens, being a part of it and, and all the things that came with it. And even watching it back, it was like watching a different show kind of in a way. And also that might be, cause I'm a mom now and you know, you look at things differently that way, but it's so crazy. And then now you know, there, there are different, I don't want issues or different things that kids go through. Um, and you guys just always did a really good job on shining light and trying to keep it grounded and real, but also flashy and edgy. You guys just, the mix that you put into this bowl and put out is just like, it can't be done by anyone else. And it's just super, super rad. Thank you. You do look at it differently as a parent because my oldest is going to turn 10 next month. And she's like, I want to watch Gossip Girl. And I'm like, oh God, this is the big karmic, <laughs> you know, all the parents right, that were like, like my kids are watching Gossip Girl and I'm not okay with it. And before I had kids, I was like, relax. And now I'm like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, and kind of like some of the things in ours, like on the CW, you, you could only push it so far. Like yes, I remember right. the threesome with Hillary Duff and, you know, Dan, Vanessa and yeah. Hillary, like we, we didn't show anything and we kissed and it was like the worst thing. And now like if on HBO, you know, we had to cut it into two parts so that one part of it was in one episode and part of it was in another episode because it was just so it too wasn't much. so long. Yeah. People saw it all in one piece. I just love a sentence yeah. that begins when I was doing my threesome with Hillary Duff. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect Wild. moment but in time. Saying, yeah. 
there was not like you, we couldn't show very much or do no. that. And, and we, you know, pushed it however far and people were like tripping over it. And now on TV, you, you, anything you, t- you turn on and you're like, okay, they're falling. No, that was a conversation. <laughs> yeah. That was a big conversation with the new one that we have with Saffron quite a bit. And, you know, and he was always saying like, it's not just because we can get away with it doesn't mean we should. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be euphoria, you know, which is a great show, right. but obviously- totally extremely provocative you know we can obviously right. there's more swearing on gobs girl and there's more it's kind of gender fluidity or sexual issues that are getting brought to the forefront a little bit more boldly than than we were allowed to do back then but For we're sure. not just doing whatever we're still respectful You're of not the just gossip pushing it tone. to push it exactly but i also definitely don't want my kid watching that version <laughs> <laughs> it is a different way when you look it's it's so crazy but um Thanks for coming on. You guys look awesome. Well, thanks for cu- thanks for coming to my pool party all those years ago. I mean, yeah. I, it changed yeah. my life. Ours too. And it's so funny, you guys, that you both knew that the whole time I was there and didn't bring it up. I, I, that's very gangster of you guys, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when it's on a weekend, we want people to have a nice time. We, you know, yeah. Perfect. You don't want to feel like, yeah, everyone who walks through the front door needs to audition. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had no idea. I was just like going about it. It was, yeah. It was, yeah. That's awesome. Well, it's great to see you. Thank you for having us. You too. All right, guys. We'll talk soon for sure. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay. I know I already said it 100 times, but I am so thankful that they created this show. Not just for what it did for me, but for the people around the world who connected with it and really enjoyed it. Josh and Stephanie, you are truly amazing at what you do. And I just couldn't be happier that I had an opportunity to work with both of you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And be sure to check out my conversation with the amazing Kelly Rutherford, also known as Lily Vanderwoodson, which is also released today. And like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, XOXO. XOXO is produced by Propagate Content and me, Jessica Zor. Our show is executive produced by Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Emily Carr, and Hannah Harris. Original music by Moxie and Loon, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.